does that for you. The title of this message is Building and Watching. Building and Watching. Guarding. Being vigilant. Um, so uh, today uh, I've got quite a bit of scripture that we're going to um, go through. And everything will be coming from the book of Nehemiah. So what I'm going to do is I'll read a passage of scripture and then uh, share what the Lord's revealing in it uh, for this time. Um, and then uh, we'll move on. Because I want to cover so much scripture, a lot of times I'm going to just fill in what's missing between scriptures, okay? Especially in the first two chapters, okay? So just so you know, uh, if you haven't read Nehemiah in a while, I encourage you, if you have time this week, go back and read it. Man, it's a great book. It's a powerful book, okay? And we just don't have time to read it all. So I'm just going to give you cliff notes for the first two chapters. Uh, and then when we hit chapter 4, then we're going to uh, read that um, verse for verse, okay? So we're beginning in uh, Nehemiah, chapter 1. Okay. Okay, I'm going to start reading. It says, uh, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah. Uh, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' uh, reign, I was at the fortress of Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from, uh, there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Those gates that surrounded the city of Jerusalem were so important. They kept um, the enemy from being able to enter into the city. Uh, it was their protection and their security, and it's what gave them peace. Otherwise, anyone could enter in, cause great trouble, cause chaos, could uh, uh, loot from them and take what they had. So those walls were extremely important. I want to think about, too, what it would feel like to live in a city that had been destroyed by the enemy and the rubble is still all around you how getting up every morning and looking at that rubble would remember, uh, remind you that you were a defeated foe. Let's see. I'm going to need my notes. We're on verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. His response, what I found amazing about Nehemiah, 
uh, I read that Nehemiah was born in captivity and he never seen Jerusalem and yet he mourned and wept. Those were still his people. Amen. He warmed and, and, and lamented because that was still his homeland. That's where his father was buried, right? That's where his ancestors were. And so he, he, he was so burdened. He says, I wept. I wept and I mourned and I prayed and I fasted. And then I turned to God in prayer. He says, um, Oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. He turns to God, understanding, I know who you are. I know you are the true God. You're the awesome. You're the great. You're powerful. I know this about you. And I know your faithfulness to your people. When they are faithful to you, your love is there. And the things you've promised, the commands you've made, the, the principles you put in place are there for them. And they work. I love this, this verse. As he's sitting there and he's praying to God and he's pouring out his heart, he has fi been filled with this burden. And out of burden comes purpose. And out of purpose comes vision. A man who never saw Jerusalem now has this, this mission and this vision to have the walls restored so that they have protection and safety and can dwell in peace. Vision given to one man, Nehemiah. One man. Uh, I'm not going to go through the entire prayer, but man, you got to go read that prayer because it's loaded, it's packed. Okay, but I'm going to jump to verse 11 now, and this is our last verse of his prayer and he says oh lord please hear my prayer listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me put in his heart to be kind to me in those days i was the king's cupbearer the king's cupbearer was, the, was the, um, the one put in charge. He selected the wine, and he tasted it, because if it was poisoned, they would know when he fell over dead. That was his job. Now, his job probably entailed more than that. I'm sure from time to time he was a, uh, a companion, somebody for the king to talk to. I'm sure from time to time the king probably used him as a confidant, and from time to time he may have, uh, if asked upon, maybe gave informal uh, counsel. But this is a position that is placed in that gets him in before the king. God strategically places his people. Amen. Nehemiah is relying on, and he is trusting, and he is dependent on who he knows God is, and God being favorable to a work. A work that he could say, this is my work, but it's not. Nehemiah knows this is God's work. And you will see as we continue to read, the way he goes forth, 
Uh, there's no doubt Nehemiah knows this is not my work, this is God's work, and I'm doing it on his behalf. Um, so uh, I'm going to give you a real quick sketch. So as the cupbearer, he goes in before the king, and uh, he says, um, he's, he, his, he's sad, okay? His countenance has fallen and dropped, and the king inquires about it, and uh, he tells him what it is. He talks about his people and, and the, the uh, destruction of Jerusalem and, and how he wants, he's got this vision now, right? He's got this burning purpose in him now and how he wants to go and restore the wall of Jerusalem. And so the king moves favorably and gives him permission to go do that. Not only did he ask for permission, and this is amazing because, you know, when you think about it, to be in the presence of the king, his job was to serve the king. Everything was about the king. So him just mentioning something could have cost him his life. But this is the burden that he carried. I just have to speak to the king about this now that he's opened the door. And now he asks for letters. Not only do I got permission, but now I'm going to ask. He asks them, can you give me letters for the governors to the different regions and providences I'm going to go through so I can have safe passage? Check, given. Then he says, um, well, can you give me a letter for the one who manages the king's force? Because everything in the kingdom belongs to the king, and you can't take something without the king's permission. And so he asks, can you give me a letter so that I might get timber to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the gates, and to build myself a house while I'm there. Man, that's bold. Check given. <laughs> so, that, so now Nehemiah has gotten per permission to go, and he, go, he is going with the king's authority and the king's blessing. Okay, And so now he starts out towards there. And now we're going to Jeremiah 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, when I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along an army, officers and horsemen, to protect me. That was something he didn't ask for. But the king threw it in nonetheless. Talk about God's favor. I'll make sure you have everything you need, all the resources and the protection to accomplish my work and my will. But Sanballat and Tobiah, an official, heard of my arrival. They were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. Sanballat was a governor of uh, Samaria. And they are upset. They're disturbed. They're bothered by the fact that somebody came to promote and to be about the welfare of a, of a people. Now, I don't know about you, but man, that just really struck me. I just thought, how can you be upset because somebody cares about somebody else and is looking to help them? And that makes you disturbed and upset? But isn't that just like the world? 
You see, I'm okay in the world. I'm okay if you progress a little, as long as it doesn't jeopardize my status, my position, my wealth, my power, my control. Because in the world, people are resources. I use you to build my empire. I use you to gain my wealth. That's what you are. Uh, we have to be careful because in the church also, not everybody is going to be excited about your success. And that's a hard word to speak in the house of God. Yes, but why would that be? Because though they had the form of godliness, they had an outward appearance of godliness, they denied the power of transformation. You see, God has to be central in our lives. The fact that we just come in and sit down, that, that, that brings transformation. When we come through the doors, we come through with everything that we've been taught since we were little. We come through the doors with the philosophy of men. We come through the doors with the ways of the world. We can't help it. It's all that we had offered to us. It's how we learn to function. The world doesn't function the same way the kingdom does. God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. They're so far above ours. That's why it's so important that we stay in the word of God. The word of God says to me, this is who you are. You're my beloved daughter. You're my beloved son. This is who you are. When the world has said, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, when the world has done nothing but pushed you down and criticized you and sowed all kinds of terrors uh, uh, to uh, undermine the truth of who you are in Christ Jesus. The word of God shows us how God moves and functions his principles at work. He says, if you seek first the kingdom and my righteousness, everything else is going to be added on to you. He says, whatever you sow to, you shall reap. So if I sow to the flesh, I'm going to reap from the flesh. But if I sow to the spirit, I'm going to reap from the spirit. That's why it's so important for us to remain in prayer and to remain in scripture. Not because I get brownie points or I get a gold star on my forehead. Uh, not because I get next to my name, check, check. That look good when I enter. No, it is about being strengthened in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and stand in the power of his might. Stand in the truth of who you are. So Nehemiah, uh, he, he, he's now in Jerusalem, and he goes alone at night, and he surveils the city and the city walls. He just takes it all in. And then in the morning he speaks. Now we're at Nehemiah 2, 17 through 20. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. He's speaking to, uh, to the Jewish people. He's speaking to the priests. He's speaking to the leaders. That's who he's, he's speaking to. He says, Jerusalem uh, lies in ruins. And it have been destroyed by fire. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told him about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. 
now Nehemiah comes and he's saying to the people, I have the vision, but now I need you to grasp the vision. Now I need you to embrace the vision so that as one heart and one mind, we can begin to build this wall. We can begin to accomplish the things that have been set for us to accomplish. I want to hold up here. Uh, and I want to think about our community. The vision was given to Pastor Keenan. But he had to impart that vision to us so that everybody is working towards the same end. That's why when Christine stands up on most Sundays, she reads our, uh, our mission statement. Here at Full Potential, it begins. And what does it say? I'm gonna, I'm gonna shrink it down into one line. It says that we give the tools and the guidance for people to reach their full potential. That is the vision of this house. And it's important that as new people come in, you understand uh, uh, when you come in, you come in to get a sense of who we are, how we operate and function here, and what is our vision. Because there can only be one vision in the house. When there's multiple divisions, it's a divided house and it cannot stand. It is a tactic of, a, of the enemy to divide a house. All I have to do is give you two visions, and the people will begin to separate. All I have to do is get you to grumble against the pastor and think my way is better than his. And then I begin to talk to people, and it causes dissension in the house, and it's caused communities to collapse. That's how important it is for us to make sure that we get that vision. If you're new in the house, trust this, that as you're getting to know us, we're getting to know you. You can be assured that your gifts will make room for you in this house in time. Uh, and you also need to understand, if you have been here and you don't have somebody's number, today, today, my, my homework for you, my task, is do not leave here without somebody's phone number. And I'm not talking about Pastor Keenan's. I'm talking about women, look around and see who's here. And who does the Spirit lead you to? Can I get your number? Why is that so important? Gentlemen, you have to do the same thing. Don't leave here without at least one phone number. I suggest more than one, but if you only have one, and now the ice has been broken, right? I've done the work for you. All you gotta say is, Vicki said I need a number. <laughs> You're plugged in, there you go. Why is that so important? So that when you are in, in a situation, and it doesn't always have to be a bad situation, you can call somebody. I got some great news and I want to share it. Who do I call? Well, let me look and see. Who will celebrate with me? Amen. Right? Who's not going to say to my face they're happy, but in, behind my back they're not so happy for me? Who's going to be there for you uh, if, if something tragic happens? This is a community. This is a family. We're here for you. Hope that you're here for us. Right? It's, it's a mutual thing. So we need those numbers. And I want to tell you this. When you call somebody for prayer, it's that. It's prayer. Nobody's going to take that and talk. You know, when people call me, I'm part of a prayer team here at Full Potential, and there's five or six of us, and I'm going to fix that and put the numbers back there again. It got moved. 
Uh, when you call and ask me for prayer, I always ask, is it okay if I share this with the prayer band that, so that you have other people praying? Sometimes people say, yes, go ahead. And sometimes people say, I prefer you keep it to yourself. That's okay. Amen. That's okay. You have, uh, I, I want you to be confident in that when you reach out, this is a mature community, and when you reach out, what you share, there. Amen. No judgment, and there's no gossip. Amen. Where are we at? Okay, so I'm going to start at 18, because that's what's up there. And then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about the conversation I had with King. Oh, how important is that, the testimony, the witness of look what God did for me. We're getting ready to do something, and I want you to know who God is and how he's already moved in this, uh, in this area so that you can see that God is behind this. God is moving as well. Um, and how gracious, because of God's, our Father's graciousness, then the earthly king moved on uh, Nehemiah's behalf. And when he moved on Nehemiah's behalf, he moved on the behalf of God's children. He, uh, they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And so began the good work, the enthusiasm of starting out. Everybody's excited. Everybody's of one heart and one mind. Everybody says, yes, we can do this. Let's get up and let's start building. And so the work began. Uh, next. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They asked. Now, isn't it something? Every time you go to move on God's behalf or to be about God's work, expect. Amen. You just have to expect God uh, when you're moving on his behalf. Man, the enemy's going to show up, and there is going to be opposition. And what strikes me is every time he opens his mouth, it's going to be in a question form. You see, if I can subtly sow the seed of doubt... You will miss it. You will miss it, and I'll get run down a rabbit hole. Uh, I, um, the other thing uh, that uh, strikes me is that if I can um, demoralize you, right? If I can undermine your confidence, if I can get you to lose hope, if I can stop this project before the first stone gets laid, that's the goal of the enemy. I'm going to stop it in its tracks before they even get started. So it's not just about getting you to question, but other people heard this question, and they got to be starting to wonder, hmm, well, I don't know Jeremiah. Where did Jeremiah come from? Beginning to question, what is he about and what is he doing? Uh, verse 20. I replied... We're talking now. I the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no share, legal right, 
or historic claim to Jerusalem. He's saying, what's it to you? Because you have no claim here. Amen. None. Okay, um, can we go on to Nehemiah 4? I want us to remember, as soon as you say, let us get up and build for God, Satan says, up and stop it. Amen. Let us get up and stop it. Now we're in Nehemiah 4. If you read Nehemiah 3, Nehemiah 3 talks about who stood next to who in the building of this wall, and so-and-so stood. I wouldn't even think about reading that with some of them names. I mean, that'd take forever. But you'll learn what kind of people, you know, they weren't all builders to, the, to, to, to surprise you. Some were perfumers, and yet they were out there building. Daughters were out there building. Uh, blacksmiths were out there building. The high priest was out there be, uh, building. The priests were out there building. Everybody, everybody's important. Everybody they're building. Everybody here at Full Potential is important. Amen. Everybody needs to be working and building to build. Sambalette was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. Oh, it was just like putting hot coals on top of his head. He because. He didn't succeed at stopping them before they even got it started. Now he's mad. Why? Because I can see them working. Amen. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews. Saying in front of his friends and the um, Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? One more verse. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it, just trying to demoralize, get them to lose confidence in what? In who they are, in their, in their ability, in the fact that God will be there and help them, in the fact that they will be able to undertake such a large task. If I can just get you to think it's too much, it's too much, I can't do that, you're asking too much. I, I, can, I can stop you, right? So if we can just continue to wear away at them, we can stop the progress of this wall being built. Now, why don't they want that wall built? I'm thinking because, you know what? They remember what a wealthy and powerful nation Israel was before they got taken into captivity. They remember the blessing and the favor of God upon their lives. And I have no doubt that they are using this people, that they're going in and taking what they want from this people. They're going in and, and just using them for their own purpose and means. That's why they don't want this built. Uh, so, uh, thank you. And then I prayed. Hear us, oh, um, hear us our God. For we being mocked, may their scoffing fall back on their own heads, 
and may themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Nehemiah, this is why I think Nehemiah realizes this isn't about my work or your work. This is God's work. This is God's will being accomplished with the rebuilding of this wall. It's part of the restoration. It's part of the restoration of God's people. This is God's I love the fact that Nehemiah goes back to prayer. At no point do they take vengeance themselves. They just keep returning to God, God who has been faithful, God who will protect, God who will keep, God who will sustain. They just keep relying on who they know he is, his love and his faithfulness. Uh, verse 6. This is a critical time. It says, at last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. This is the halfway point. And the halfway point is always a critical time. Always a critical time. And we're going to find out why. Okay, can you take me to seven? But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the... Ammonites and the Ashtonites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired. They were furious because now they can't enter as they want. They can't enter at will. They can't do whatever they want. Once that wall is complete, there's only uh, a guarded way in. It's, it, they are going to be limited in their access to the city and to everything that's inside the city. Uh, verse 8, they all made plans to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to throw it into confusion. God is not the author of confusion. Verse 9, but we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. We prayed, but then we guarded. You can't just pray and leave it to God. We have things that we have to do. So they prayed and they guarded the city. Next verse. Then the people of Judah began to complain. We're at the halfway part. They started to complain. The workers are getting tired. And there's so much rubble to be moved. And we'll never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Halfway point is when we begin to get tired. That's whether it's a physical tired, where it's emotionally we're tired, whether it's spiritually we're tired. Halfway points are really critical. Everybody gets off to a good start, but it's keeping the momentum going, right? Um, when you're tired, your, per your perspective changes because that rubble was there from the beginning. Amen. Now, they've built half of the wall. So I'm thinking, okay, at least half the rubble's gone now. It's not even as much as what you started with. But that's all they can focus on now. I'm tired, man, this is too much, and we can't do it ourselves. Meaning I'm not quite as committed as I was when we started out. You've got to find some other people. Uh, next verse. 
Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. This is what I want you to know. This people is tired and they're looking and saying, this wall is halfway built. The enemy is looking and he's saying, this wall is halfway built. We have a problem. The perspective is different. One is saying, I can't do it no more. And the other one's saying, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't let them do it no more. Can't let them. And when before, they were just saying things to demoralize them and to put doubt and questions in their mind. Now they opt the ante, right? Now, uh, now it's really a threat. And now they're looking to kill. I'm going to stop this at any cost. That's what's happening. Verse 12. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Paralyzing fear. That's all. That's all. If I can get you to be afraid, and if I can get you afraid enough, it's paralyzing, and you won't do anything. You know, you'll be just a deer in the head. That's what they, they, they are beginning to do. Uh, the Jews, uh, so they keep coming and, and telling them that, look, they're going to attack us from every direction, and now they've up the ante. You know, they're looking uh, to harm us. 13, and so I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. As the enemy changed tactics, so did Nehemiah. How, how important is wisdom? Scripture says if you lack wisdom, ask. Ask. As the enemy has changed tactics, so does Nehemiah. And now Nehemiah, where there were no guards before, he's now got them stationed. They got swords, spears, and bows to defend the people who are building. He's put them uh, according to families. Why? Man, you're going to fight hard for your family. He wants you to know what's at stake. You know, you might be afraid, but here's what's at stake. You have to fight for your wife. You have to fight for your husband. You have to fight for your children. Uh, this is so true just in the natural. You know, it, it, there, there is so much, and we have got to fight for, for our families, for ourselves, for our spouse. We have to fight for this community and for the vision of this house. We have to fight for one another. It is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle, and we do it through prayer. Okay, um, 14. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. How many times did Jesus tell them, don't be afraid, don't be afraid of the enemy, remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers. 
for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, and for your homes. There is a lot at stake, he's saying. Don't be afraid of, for, uh, uh, of the enemy. But remember who your God is. Take your eyes off of your enemy and place them on the God who is faithful and true, who is eternal. Listen, he, he parted the Red Sea. He stopped the sun. He, he shut the lion's mouth. He kept the three Hebrew boys in the furnace. They came out. Their clothes weren't singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. He takes care of his own. Uh, 4.15. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. Isn't that something? When the, when the, we knew that the enemy knew your plan and your plot is not going to work. Your tactics, we see your strategy, it is not going to work. God has got us. He's revealed the plan of the enemy to us. Uh, he has frustrated them because no matter what they do, they cannot get the of God and stop from being accomplished. And while they're all mad and frustrated, we're just going back to work and finish that wall now. How important is a leader to keep the people's eyes uh, on God and who God is? How important is it to have a leader who continues to keep the people encouraged? How important is it for us, not just the leader, but all of us to do these things and to continue to hold up the vision? What is the vision? What is the goal? Why do we gather? What are we accomplishing? You know, uh, th this is a message that Pastor Keenan started, uh, but he really hit it hard this, this year about the importance of us uh, being about others and not about just coming in and being about ourselves and we just kind of gather. But there are people who are lost in the world. There are people who are dying in the world. There are, are, are people who need Jesus and that it's our responsibility to be out there um, uh, evangelizing out there telling people who they are in Christ Jesus you know what is available to them uh, verse 16 but from then on only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears shears of mail the leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah Everybody is important. Everybody's needed who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. We have got to build, watch, and guard. We do it through prayer. We have got to continue to build. We can't stop the building and moving forward. But we have to be watchful and vigilant. Because our lion, we're told the, the devil is like a lion who prowls around seeking who he can devour. And who does he devour? The weakest, right? He, he goes after the weak. He goes oh, uh, for the ones that are hurt. He goes for the ones that are separated from, from the community. How important is it that when we're going through, we stay in community? This is why the numbers are important. Uh, so often when people are going through, they won't come to the house. They won't gather. This is where the strength is. This is where the power is. This is where the comfort is. This is where you, you need to be. Close, close, close. In the animal kingdom, 
the, when, when the predators come, they put the weakest ones, the smallest ones, in the middle and they defend them. That's where their protection comes from. And it's the same in the house. It's the same in the house. Man, when you first come in, you first get to know the Lord. If, he, if the enemy can pick you off early, he will. So often people will come through the, through the door and they're here for a couple months and then they're gone and we never see them. You got to stay long enough to be rooted. You, your roots are important. You got to stay long enough to get the knowledge and the tools you need to be able to live the life that you were created and called to. Um, verse 18. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. Let's talk about the armor of God. Let's remember and recall the armor of God. He says to stand firm against the tactics of the enemy. Put on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. It extinguishes the fiery darts of the enemy. It, it's all given to us. We just have to use what's been given to us. We have to realize that sword of the Spirit, everyone carried that. And, and in Ephesians 6, it says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Yeah. It's the Word of God. That's what we fight with, the Word of God. He says, the trumpeter stayed with me to stand the arm. Then I explained to the and all the people, the work is very spread. And we're widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to where it is sounding, then our God will fight for us. When you are in need, sound the alarm. You have brothers and sisters who will come and support you, come and pray with you. I often think of it... Uh, uh, in terms of, uh, of fabric, you know, you can have um, a blanket or you can have a, a shirt, and one, if one thread breaks, it's not a big deal, right? Because there's the support of all the other threads that are making up that fabric. So, listen, we all go through and we all have down times. Uh, when I am going through, I got people I call. We all are, are in places from time to time. Uh, somebody quoted before we started that it rains on the just and the unjust. We're all going to go through, Amen. you know. And so it's leaning on those things uh, and, and the people, Amen. you know. Okay. Uh, we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset and half always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. Don't leave the city. Don't leave the place of protection. That way they were, uh, um, they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and the work of building during the day. During this time, none of us, 
not one, uh, uh, not one, I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me ever took off their clothes. We carried our weapons with us all the time, even when we went for water. Is that my last verse? Um, let me see. Yep, that's my last verse. So to recap, how important it is for us to remember that we have an enemy, we have an adversary, but we have everything we need to be able to guard against. First, it's to be alert and watchful and not to forget that we have an enemy. It's to remember that there can only be one vision in the house. A divided house cannot stand. One shepherd in this house, um, one vision. Uh, we have to remember that when we're t uh, fatigued, uh, when we're frustrated, uh, when, when uh, we're fearful, we have a tendency to lose perspective. And that's an important time to be around others who can help you get a, a, a good perspective. Um, what an awesome God we have. What an awesome God we have. Whenever he asks us to do something, he is the one who supplies through gifts, talents, through resources, everything we need to continue the process of building. But we do have to be watchful. We do have to be on guard. Just as where we are now in this community, as we're making forward momentum, if you don't think the enemy hasn't noticed, and if you think he isn't looking to rip it up, <laughs> he is. But as Val quoted, the one who is in us is stronger than he who is in the world. And we have been given everything we need, every tool that we need to be able to accomplish God's will and to do it with delight. I mean, what a blessing it is to be chosen, to be called, and to be used. Amen. To be used. My last caution, watch for fatigue, because when you're tired, you are the most vulnerable to the enemy. When you're offended, you are the most vulnerable to the enemy. Yeah. All of us are. I'll end with this story. I'm a new grandma. Yes! Jacob was born this week, and, and so we didn't go to the hospital. They sent us pictures, and we talked on FaceTime, and, and Nanette happened to mention the baby never opened his eyes in the delivery room. I said, well, 